Let's pray and we'll ask God for his help. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for opportunity to look at your word. We pray that as we reflect now on John chapter 1, that you help us to see all the more the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might respond appropriately. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was recently looking at a book. It was by a guy called Arnon Vered. It's called this. It's called Tell a Friend, Word of Mouth Marketing, How Small Businesses Can Achieve Big Results. Uh, Word of Mouth Marketing is when ordinary people uh, tell other ordinary people about your business or products. Uh, Vered says that this word of mouth, or WOM, I don't know why he calls it WOM, it takes longer to say WOM than word of mouth, but anyway, uh, WOM is one of the best forms of marketing. He says this, WOM is the most important weapon in many businesses' marketing arsenal. A Gallup poll found that 45% of businesses in the United States rely solely on WOM marketing. They do no advertising, they just expect people to talk about their business. Verid says that WOM advertising is becoming more and more effective in our culture, Uh, among, uh, among other reasons. There's the fact that we're so connected through social media. So each of us as individuals can have a wide influence. So we go to a shop, we really like it, and we start talking about it and put it on Facebook or Twitter or whatever the other things that you have all your friends through, and you have a wide influence now. Uh, There's also, though, a trend in society to trust authorities less and less. So you don't want to know what the expert thinks. People are more inclined to take advice from people who who they know and trust rather than from authorities who probably are getting paid for it or something like that anyway. WOM advertising is becoming increasingly significant. In fact, Beret argues, uh, in our culture, he says, WOM is the most trusted media. And and so Beret talks about a practice of some companies. It's a practice that he disagrees with. He thinks it's unethical, uh, but apparently it still happens. It's a practice called shilling. Shilling. Uh, The example of shilling that he talks about is this. In shilling, businesses pay people to talk up their products in various places. For example, standing in line at the bank or at student centres. Imagine this. You get paid to talk to people about someone's products. Uh, So, for example, you take your kids to soccer. Uh, During the game, you sidle up to another parent on the sideline. G'day, my name's Jeff. You chat for a while about the weather or whatever, and then surreptitiously you drop it into your conversation. Do you know what? I'm nearly 50. I don't look it, do I? My skin is so smooth and wrinkle-free, and I'm not even Asian. Do do you want to know why I look so young? It's because I use Acme anti-aging cream. As I say, this book doesn't condone shilling, And the book goes on to explain how to get people talking about your business and products in a rather more ethical way. Interesting book. Uh, And I reckon it's an interesting claim. Word of mouth is the most trusted media. Is that your experience? Uh, Are you inclined to listen to what your friends and family recommend to you? I I know it's my experience. It, It happened to me just this week. I needed to get some stuff for my kids. Uh, a friend from church here recommended a certain shop down in Westfield, took her advice, went there, spent 300 bucks. Uh, word of mouth's very effective. Well, last week we looked at the introduction to John's Gospel. 
And we saw the Apostle John, the author of the book, uh, talking about another John, John the Baptist, as we know him. Uh, The Apostle John told us that John the Baptist came as a witness to testify about Jesus so that people would put their faith in Jesus. Well, now as we move into the main section of the Gospel, we start off by hearing more about John the Baptist. Now, John's obviously made a bit of a name for himself as he baptises and and preaches. He's come to the attention of the Jewish religious authorities in Jerusalem. And so they send out a delegation, a delegation to find out who this man thinks he is. They ask him a number of questions. And they find out, firstly, who he isn't. Uh, John the Baptist is not the Christ, the promised Davidic king. Uh, He's not... uh, Uh, The the Old Testament prophet Elijah returned from heaven in person. Uh, Nor is he the prophet promised by Moses in the Old Testament. John chapter 1 and verse 19, have a look with me. John chapter 1 and verse 19, we'll see who John the Baptist isn't. John 1, 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. The delegation now know who John isn't, but that's not much good to them. They want to know who he is, and so they ask. And John the Baptist answers in terms of an Old Testament prophecy. This is a very interesting answer. Let me give you some background to help you understand it. In the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah... God was angry with his people. He promised that he would judge them and send them into exile away from the promised land. But then he promised, uh, from the second part of Isaiah, Isaiah 40 through to the end, he promised that he would bring them back to the land. Uh, More than that, he promised that he he would change them so that they can be eternally with God in the promised land. And so Isaiah chapter 40, God says, I myself am going to come. I myself, God says, am going to save my people and bring them eternally home. But before I do that, God says, he says, I'll send you a messenger. A voice is going to come and this voice will announce the coming of God to save his people. Well, that's who John the Baptist claims to be. He says, I am that voice. I'm the voice promised in Isaiah who prepares for God to come and rescue his people and bring them home. Verse 22. Finally, they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. John the Baptist came to announce the coming of the Lord. But for the Jewish religious authorities, that raises another question. So what's this baptizing all about? Why does John the Baptist baptize? And he answers by saying, it's all part of the preparation. The baptism, it's part of the preparing you, preparing Israel to receive the Lord for the Lord's coming. Verse 24. Now, some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptise if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptise with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. 
Here's the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened in Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptising. The next day, John the Baptist sees Jesus. And he says, this is the one. Although John uses very interesting language. He doesn't say from Isaiah, this is the Lord who was to come. He uses, he uses Old Testament language from the, uh, the temple and the sacrificial system. John says that, that Jesus... He's like a sacrificial lamb. Jesus, the Lord who is coming to save his people, will take away sin by being sacrificed. Uh, John also reaffirms that Jesus is very great. You may know from the other Gospels that Jesus was slightly younger than John. But John says, in fact, he came before me. And in the light of the introduction, we know that's because Jesus is the eternal word, become flesh. Verse 29. Verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And John then tells how he recognized Jesus. He says the Holy Spirit came down onto Jesus. From the other Gospels we know the Spirit came on Jesus like, do you remember, like, like a dove. And for John that was the sign. Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, the, the promised Davidic King of God's kingdom. John also says that Jesus is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Again, it's an Old Testament reference, a reference to Ezekiel. Again, the meaning in the context of Ezekiel is that Jesus is God who's come to, to save and to change his people so they can be eternally at home with God. Verse 32. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Last week we talked about, and and Warren talked about it in the introduction as well, that here in John's Gospel we're going to have the opportunity to, 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 to glimpse the glory of Jesus, to see something of who he is and what he's done. and Already we've seen amazing things here, haven't we? It's pretty impressive, the Lord. I mean, John the Baptist is saying who he is, I'm the voice of one calling, but who does that say will come after him? God will come to save his people. Who comes after him? Jesus. Jesus is God, come to save his people. How's he going to do that? How's he going to bring us home eternally to the promised land, baptise us with the Spirit so we can live with God forever? By dying as a sacrificial lamb to take our sin away. This is, this is good stuff, isn't it? I mean, no wonder, no wonder John can't stop talking about him. No wonder John was willing to dedicate his life to preparing the way for Jesus. No wonder, to quote the introduction, John came as a witness to Jesus so that through him all men might believe. No wonder John spent his life W-O-M advertising for Jesus, the Lord. The next day, John's at it again. 
Uh, This time he's talking about Jesus to two of his own disciples, two of his followers. Uh, They hear John's W-O-M and they're impressed. So they themselves follow Jesus. They go to his house, they spend a day with him. Verse 35. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God! When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It's about the tenth hour. Now it's interesting, uh, John tells us who one of the disciples was, uh, Andrew, never tells us who the other disciple was, he remains unnamed. Uh, I think that's because this is John himself here. The other disciple is a man called Andrew. Andrew spends some time with Jesus. Again, he's impressed. He soon forms the view that Jesus is the promised king. Uh, Andrew's so impressed with Jesus, he can't keep it to himself. And so he goes on and does a bit of WOM advertising. He tells his brother Simon. Simon comes and meets Jesus, and Jesus renames him. Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. That's Hebrew. John then translates it into Greek for us. That is the Christ. If you want to translate it into English, it's the anointed king, something like that. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas. That's Aramaic, which John then translates into Greek for us. When translated is Peter. If you want an English translation, rock. Rocky, this is Rocky 1, something like that. (laughs) The next day, Jesus calls another disciple, Philip. Philip also is impressed with Jesus. He soon comes to the view that Jesus is the fulfilment of the Old Testament. He's so impressed that he can't help himself but go off and do a bit of WOM. He goes and tells his mate, Nathaniel, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, initially, Nathanael's not too impressed, not too keen on the idea of meeting Jesus. He doesn't think a man from the the hick town of, of Nazareth could ever be anyone special. But Philip perseveres in his WOM, and so Nathaniel comes and meets Jesus. It's, it's very interesting. I think it's a really nice meeting. Uh, Jesus shows that he knew all about Nathaniel before he even met him. He knows his character. He, he says he even saw him before they were met. Uh, Nathaniel's impressed. He comes to believe Jesus is the promised king. But Jesus says, in the words later to be quoted by Backman Turner Overdrive, you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, you'll see way more impressive things than this. And then Jesus It's this really interesting reference that he uses. He refers to a very famous passage from the book of Genesis. Uh, There's a man called Jacob. Uh, Jacob had a dream. Uh, He sees a stairway from heaven to earth. This is way back in the book of Genesis. Uh, Jacob has a a dream where he sees a stairway from heaven to earth. And the angels of God are using the stairway, going up and down, bringing their messages from God to man, from heaven to earth. Jesus picks up on this dream, but he puts a twist on it. He says, I'm the stairway. 
I am the connection between heaven and earth. It's just like we saw in the introduction last week. Jesus is God himself who has come from the Father's side to make God known. In Jesus, we don't just have an angel bringing us information. In Jesus, we have the direct connection from heaven to earth. Verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Just a little play on Israelite, which means kind of tricky, fighting against God. But Jacob, the name before, means tricky. Here's a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel, Jesus said. You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus talking about himself. All right, well, can you see what's here in this passage? In one sense, it's a passage about WOM, isn't it? John the Baptist testifies about Jesus so that all men might believe. He says, Jesus is the divine Lord coming to save his people, baptise them with the Spirit, bring them eternally home. He says, Jesus is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. John's word of mouth, it impacts on two of his disciples. Andrew, probably the Apostle John himself. Andrew spends time with Jesus, comes to believe Jesus is the Christ, and so he goes and and talks himself to his brother Simon about it. Jesus also calls Philip. Philip comes to believe Jesus is the fulfilment of the Old Testament. He's got to go and talk to Nathanael about it. And then in the conversation between Jesus and Nathanael, we see again that Jesus is the true connection between God and man, the original stairway to heaven, so to speak. All right. Well, let's think about applying the passage to ourselves. As you can see from your outline, I've got two points of application. Point number one is this. The power of WOM. How did Jesus get his disciples? I mean, if you read the other Gospels, it sounds like it was kind of a miraculous thing. You know, Jesus comes up to people, follow me, and they, they drop what they're doing, their fishing nets or their tax collector's booths or whatever, and they, it's like they're kind of hypnotised. Oh, follow me. And they drop everything and, and as if it's some kind of... No, that's not what it was like at all. Here, here in John, we see, we, we get much more of an, an insight into humanly speaking how it is that Jesus came to follow him. That, that day when Jesus approached Peter in the fishing boat, it wasn't the first time they'd met. He didn't just magically see Jesus for the first time and his eyes start spinning as he drops everything and walks out. No, no, no. That, that day, John, uh, Jesus approached uh, Peter and John as well in his boat. wasn't the first time they'd met. These men had already come into contact with Jesus. And how did they know him? How had they met him? How had they come to, into contact with him? Through the word of mouth of people they trusted. Through, through the words of their teacher's mouth, John the Baptist's mouth. Through the words of their brother's mouth. Through the words of their mate's mouth. Humanly speaking, that's how it happens. And you know what? Over history, 
It's been the same. It is still the same today for the vast majority of people. A little while ago, I gave you a a massive survey of something like 40,000 people in America. More than 80% of people came to church because someone they trusted, a friend or family member, had invited them. All of the evangelistic campaigns, all of the the, advertising campaigns counted for almost nothing. The vast majority of people who came to church came because someone they knew and trusted asked them to. Word of mouth is the ordinary way that people come to know Jesus. Friends, do you want your family to come to know Jesus? I know for me that is the thing I want more than anything else in this world. Do you want your family to come to know Jesus? Do you you want your friends to come to know Jesus? Do you know what is the best way for that to happen? I mean, I know it's God's work. I know prayer is vital. I know God can use any means that he wants. But humanly speaking, the best way for the people you love to put their faith in Jesus is this. The words of your mouth. The word of the gospel spoken from your mouth. I think Arnon Verrett is onto something when he says word of mouth is the most trusted media. Matches up with what we see here in John. Matches up with history. Matches up, I think, with most of our stories. Most of us would tell the story of how our parents or our brother or our sister or our friend invited us. So, friend, let me ask you. How's your WOM going? Are you talking to people about Jesus? Is it a natural part of your conversation wherever you are? That's the power of WOM. Second point, second point of application. The second thing that strikes me from this passage is this. There's no command to evangelise. No one is commanding anyone to talk to anyone about Jesus. As a matter of fact, you'll find very few commands in the Bible to evangelise. Uh, here, in, here in this passage, there's no nagging people to talk about Jesus. There's no guilting people. There's no shilling people. No one's being paid to talk about Jesus. So, so why do people do it? Why do they talk about Jesus? Why do they tell their friends and their family about him? Why do they invite people to, to come into relationship with Jesus? Why is that just so immediate to the experience of knowing him? It was because, like it said in the introduction, they have seen his glory. They've seen the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. They've understood something of how great he is. They've got a glimpse of the... the the excellent things that he can do. And so that's the final point. WOM and the glory of Jesus. Those who perceive the glory of Jesus can't help themselves but talk about him. It's a bit like grandparents. Don't ever ask a grandparent to tell you about their grandchildren, will you? Not unless you've got a few hours to spare. Grandparents generally speaking, passionately adore their grandchildren and they can't help but talk about them. You don't have to command grandparents to talk about their grandchildren. You don't have to nag them. You don't have to guilt them. You don't have to pay them. In fact, by the time they've gone on and on and on about their grandchildren, you're probably ready to pay them to stop talking. It's like that old Jewish joke, and I know no one ever laughs at my Jewish jokes, but for the sake of your personal and cultural development, I will persevere. (laughs) 
What's the definition of a gifted child? An ordinary child with a Jewish grandmother. Because Jewish grandmothers talk about their grandchildren as if they're the smartest, most gifted children in the world. <laughs> Friend, thanks, brother. <laughs> Are you like a Jewish grandma about Jesus? Are you a person who can't stop talking about him? Or has something silenced you? Why do you reckon we're silent? Could be lots of reasons. But I look at this passage and I think about my own silence and I can't help but ask myself, is it because I have failed to perceive the glory of Jesus? I don't actually know who he is or what he's done. I reckon it's actually a bit of a litmus test. You know a litmus test? Blue or red, depending on whether it's acid or base. You want to know if you appreciate the greatness of who Jesus is? You, you want to know if you're if you, if you starting to get the glory of what he's done for you? You, you want to know if, you, if, you, if it's starting to really sink in? Check your WOM. Friends, as I said last week, this is my prayer for us this year. As we work together through the Gospel of John, I pray that we will see the glory of Jesus the divine Lord, the Lamb of God, the eternal King, I pray we'll come to appreciate more and more the magnificence of who he is and I pray we'll we'll understand more and more the preciousness of what Jesus can do for us, save us from sin, make us children of God, bring us home to God's kingdom. I pray that we will grasp more and more the surpassing excellence of who Jesus is and what he has done so that we can't help ourselves but receive him. How could I be anything else but a Christian when this is who Jesus is and when this is what he has done? How could I do anything but receive him? I pray that we'll grasp more and more the surpassing excellence of who Jesus and what he has done so that we cannot help but speak of his glory. So that nothing can shut us up. Will you join me in this prayer? Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, We pray that as we look at your word this year that we will grasp more and more the surpassing excellence of who Jesus is and what he has done. We pray this so that we can't help ourselves but receive him as our king and saviour and live for him. And we pray this so that we can't help but speak of his glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name.